Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. As a result of sin, we get something in return for it. It's a wage. It's something we earn. When I sin, I receive death in myself. It may not be right now, but there's something that is bringing death into my life, my spiritual life, certainly. But notice, the gift of God, something that God gives freely, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Would you rather receive the gift of everlasting life or do you want the wages of sin, which is death? Hello and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob finalizes chapter 2 of 2 Peter by analyzing Peter's explanation of the depravity of false teachers. Peter says they are like natural brute beasts. Since they function in the flesh, not the spirit, they are like animals. They are fit only for destruction, made to be caught and destroyed. The ungodly will be paid for their evil. And their fleshly lives will be paid the wages of unrighteousness. And now, let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. The mountains, and I got, you know, they had so much livestock. I'll take the mountains, Lot, and he he gave Lot the choice. You can go to the mountains or you can go to the plain. And Lot's looking around, he's looking down there at Sodom and Gomorrah and going, hmm, I could probably make a lot of money down there. Looks very fertile. The grass is nice and green for the cattle. I think I'm going to take that place down there, Uncle Abraham. And he's like, okay. All right. So he takes the, Abraham takes the high road and Lot takes the low road. And he goes down and notice what it says. That, you know, that righteous man dwelling among them, he tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Why would somebody want to continue willfully living like that? There's something wrong. There's a disconnect. His heart wasn't completely toward the Lord. Lot did not make his call an election sure, because if he did, he would have looked at that. Or even if he made a mistake, he would have got down in there and realized, you know what? This is not the place for me. <laughs> if I can't be a, a, a dedicated light in this place, but he was just being worn down. That's what the word means. He was wore down like, like water on limestone eventually or sandstone it just eventually wears away and pretty soon you got a great cave if that water drips in that same area long enough it's going to be a cave and before long you're going to fall in that cave and i believe lot was very close only god knows but i love verse nine it says then the word then is in italics because it wasn't in the original language but it says the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation, as we consider Lot, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now that's speaking about temptation, and that's definitely true. But sometimes in our life we find ourselves in consequences, or I'm sorry, circumstances, where it is really over our head. Have you been there? I've talked to many of you. I've known you for years. Some of you have had a death in the family. You've lost your job, and now you've just been diagnosed with cancer all within one week. These things happen. And it, you, just, you feel like you're like, Lord, I can't take this. I lost the person I loved. I've lost a job. What am I going to do? And now I've just been diagnosed with lung cancer, and I've got three months to live. Way over my head. When it comes to temptation, God will give you a way out. And sometimes he allows us to get over our heads in our circumstances. Why? Is it to destroy us? No, it's to get us to look up and to trust him. Sometimes that's the only way I do it. Sometimes that's the only way I'm willing to look up and finally admit and get on my face and cry like a baby again. I'm a big crybaby, honestly, I am. I, I, I cry over, we watch Hallmark movies, and I'm like... <laughs> You know, Christmas time, I'm just like, I can't believe he did that. Shouldn't be watching it so much. But anyway, it is fun. But anyway, the idea is, God knows. But sometimes we get in over our head, and that's a good thing, because then we have a decision to make. We can either cry out and submit to God and trust him with everything. Isn't that what God wants? He wants us to trust him. Do you trust him with everything? When things, especially when things are going bad, it's easy to trust when pie in the sky and everything is going great and the money's in the bank and everything's great and your car's not leaking oil. That's wonderful. You've got nothing. <laughs> There's a story behind that. But, but God, he's, he wants us to get to that place. It honors him when, we, when we're prostrate before him. And just say, God, this is too much for me. And even when things are going well, get into the habit now of getting prostrate before him. And saying, Lord, I am, things are going really great now, but I know that's not going to last all, all, you know, forever. I need you, Lord. Please sanctify me today when things are going good. Help me to worship you when things are going good. And especially when things are going bad. But notice in verse 10, and especially those, God knows how to reserve or to, to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to their flesh and their lust of uncleanness, and they despise authority. They are presumptuous. In other words, they're daring. They're self-willed. That means that they please themselves. They become arrogant. And the idea behind authority is they despise governments. There may be laws, and they, 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 they willfully go against those laws. And we are to obey the laws and requirements of the land that we live in unless it goes against clearly the teaching of the word of God. You know, for instance, if the state of New York comes to us one day and says, you can only have 2.5 children. We've done the statistics and you're only allowed 2.5 children. Have you heard those crazy statistics? 3.5 children in the house, you know, you get, you know, it's crazy. But they come and they say, only 2.5 children you're allowed to have, so you've got to sacrifice. You've got to, when, you're, when, you, when you are getting ready to deliver that 0.5 child, you need to abort it because we're not going to allow any more children. Well, the child is being born and you can lock me up because God says choose life. And if it's against the law, then I'm keeping this baby alive. You can lock me up. But we should obey in every other thing. 
obey in all the laws unless it specifically goes against the word of God. And and it goes on in verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. You know, they're not even afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. These are, it literally means glories or angels or the majesty and glory of God. You know, they they speak against those things. You know, they they don't even know what they're saying. In Jude chapter 1 verse 8, it says, Likewise, also these dreamers, they defile the flesh. They reject authority, there's our word, and they also speak evil of dignitaries. It's the same word that we have here in 2 Peter. The idea is is angels and things of God. But notice verse 11. It says, Whereas angels who are greater in power and might, they don't even bring a railing accusation against them before the Lord. Have you ever been around somebody who is just, just spewing all kinds of stuff and they have no idea really what they're talking about? It's usually an unbeliever. You know, they, they just talk about God like he's the man upstairs, and you know, they, they're just willfully and, and arrogantly just speaking things that they don't even understand. And sometimes I can do that too. I need to be really careful of the things I don't understand. There's things I don't understand. And usually people are afraid of what they don't understand. And instead of embracing the mystery of it and being careful and being reverent, they'll speak evil of things that they they don't have a clue about. Verse 12, But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages, notice, underline that, wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots. They're they're, um, spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. What are the wages of unrighteousness? Doesn't Romans tell us in 6.23? It's a verse you may share with somebody tonight when you go door to door. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. As a result of sin, we get something in return for it. It's a wage. It's something we earn. When I sin, I receive death in myself. It may not be right now, but there's something that is bringing death into my life, my spiritual life, certainly. But notice... The gift of God, something that God gives freely, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Would you rather receive the gift of everlasting life, or do you want the wages of sin, which is death? I think I'll go with the other. Are you with me? We want to do that. And that's what he says. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. And the devil always goes after the weak. And the first casualty in any war is what? Truth. The first casualty in any war is truth. And one of the devil's strategies is to divide and conquer. That's why he'll always go after the weaker vessel. In the the garden, he didn't go after Adam first. He went after Eve He'll go after your children sometimes before he'll come after you. He's that slimy. He will go after the weaker things first. Because he's got something waiting for you too. But he's going to wear you down and get your eyes off of uh, uh, on what he's doing by going after your family, going after your children, going after your wives. They have forsaken the, the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved his wages of righteousness. 
But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Turn with me, if you could, to Numbers chapter 22. We're going to go just a little bit longer than what I'd like to this morning, but bear with me. We're almost done here. Numbers 22. We're going to look at verses 7 through 21, but let's, uh, let's go there because I'm going to read it to you. Remember, the children of Israel had left Egypt, and now they come into the promised land, and there are other nations that see this huge mass of people coming into the land, and naturally they're very frightened. And Balak, who was the king of Moab at the time, he sees this great group of people coming, and so what does he do? Instead of just allowing them passage, which is what Moses wanted, look, we're not going to, we'll stay away from your water supplies, whatever we drink or eat, we'll pay, we just want to go on, you know, quietly, you know. And Balak's like, "Mm, no, I'm going after you. (laughs) So he hires a prophet. He hires a prophet. Are prophets supposed to be hired? Give you $500 down payment if you come. We'll even give you an airplane ticket if you come. And once you set foot on the ground, we'll give you another $1,000. And if you tell us what we want to hear, another ten grand is surety in the bank for you. Right? So what happens? So Balak hires this prophet, Balaam. So the elders, verse 7 of Numbers 22, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, they departed with the diviner's feet in their hand, notice, because they know this man wants to be paid. And they came to Balaam, and they spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to him, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and then God came to Balaam that night and said, Who are these men with you? Of course God knew who they were, but he's testing Balaam. So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall... Now notice this. Underline this. God said to Balaam, point blank, very clearly, in his language... You shall not go with them. Notice, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose, and they went to Balak. And said, Balaam refused to come with us. And then Balak again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me. Please come. For I will certainly honor you with greatly, and I will do whatsoever you say to me. Therefore, please come, please, please, curse this people for me. Please, I'll take you to Bill Gray's. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, and underline this too, because this is a veiled attempt for more money. Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, if he was, you know, hypothetically speaking, of course, If he was to give me gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God, or do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Didn't didn't the Lord already tell him? The Lord told him, do not go with these men. Do not curse this people. So now they come with offers of riches. Now he's thinking, maybe, Lord, can you just say something different now? I could really buy that new car now. Tired of this donkey. I want that thing with the four wheels and everything. I can go through the desert much quicker that way. The Lord tells him the same thing. And God came to Balaam that night and he said to him, If the men come to call you, and this is God's permissive will, this is God seeing his heart and saying, You know what, Balaam? Your heart is so bent on covetousness. Your heart is so bent on trying to wrestle out of the clear thing that I've just told you. Go. Let's see how this works out. 
So he does. And you remember, if the men call to you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes of Moab. And you remember what happens after this is pretty interesting. God just basically uh, allows the donkey you know, to, to see an image of an angel there before him. And the donkey's trying to avoid and, and stop, and, 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 and the donkey listened to God, where Balaam did not. God says, don't go. But, the Balaam, but Balaam said, no, I'm going to go. And God says, okay, see how that works out for you, Balaam. So he goes, and the donkey has more smarts than he. The donkey stops. But it's because of his greed God knew the covetousness in his heart. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 11 it says, Woe to him, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for what? For profit. And they perished in the rebellion of Korah. It says in Numbers 31 uh, and also Joshua chapter 13 verse 22 that it was later on when the Israelites had a campaign against the Midianites that among those who were killed in the battle was Balaam. Balaam, God allowed it. This, this prophet, who was a diviner, really, and his heart not single. I mean, he, he did prophesy some really wonderful things concerning the children of Israel. You can read about that in Numbers 23 and 24 specifically. But his heart wasn't right, and God put up with him. But in the end, finally, Balaam was killed. Verse 17, these are wells without water. Carried away by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Clouds are supposed to bring water. They're not supposed to be empty. The purpose of a cloud, a dark cloud, is to bring water, to bring refreshment. But these false teachers, they are like wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest. Supposed to be a reservoir of life, but instead are death. Verse 18, for when they speak great selling, swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, they actually pull those who have, been, who have escaped these things, they, they get their hooks in them and they bring them in. And while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. How many television evangelists have we seen this happen to? How many figures over the years, false prophets, false teachers, has this happened to? There, there, there are many, too many to number. For if they have escaped through the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. And that's so true. We need to have a short leash on our emotions and on our, 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 our lust of things. And, and whatever lust it is that you struggle with, have a short leash with it. Let God have control over it, because what happens is, is when you do confess and you do uh, confess it, God will forgive you. But if you're overcome by that sin and it takes you, and you cannot and you will not, you have no assurance in your heart. Before long, you even start to doubt. Am I even a child of God? Is that the place where you want to be? God doesn't want that for you. The, and, and you know, and, and, and if, you're, if you're that way, you've you got you to turn from that thing before it's too late because after you get so involved in it, it's better if you didn't know and then finally are, are converted than to be converted and then entangle yourself in these things again. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to hell, but your life is going to be a complete disaster. You're going to have no assurance. You're going to have no witness. Everything is gone. 
And I like what Paul says, you may get to heaven, but by the, all your works are going to be burned, but your soul is going to be saved. And it's, like, it's going to be like, just got in. Because everything else has been burned up. For it would have been better for them if they had not known the way of righteousness and having known it to turn from the holy commandment than having known it to turn from the holy commandment deliver them. But it was happened to them according to the true proverb, and this is a proverb in the Bible, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to wallow in the mire. To wallow in the mire. There's nothing worse than a child of God who has been delivered and all of a sudden now is embracing those things that they had in their youth, those sins. And folks, if any of that is true to you today, be the first to have the courage we're not going to ask you to come up or anything like that. If you want, we can pray with you. Because these things happen. You don't need to be ashamed. You just need to be repentant. You know, you, you may, and, and learn to hate it. Learn to hate whatever it is that's keeping you away from Christ. Learn to hate that thing that is driving you crazy. That habitual sin that is taking over your life. Learn to hate it. Hate it. And love God more than it. In the pleasure of it. Learn to hate it. And give your heart completely over to him. Beg him if you have to. You don't have to beg him, I believe. You don't have to beg him. But I know that I have begged him. And I know that he has shown up. Remember, God always responds to desperation. Are you desperate enough to say, God, you've got to grab this and tear it out of me? You know, I just had this tumor removed from my stomach, and they put me under anesthesia, and they cut my chest open, and they, <laughs> they, they got this thing out of me. Let God do the same with you spiritually. Get it out. Get it out. Confess it. Be renewed. Be restored. Oh, what a blessing it is. And then to rest at the night on the pillow going, Lord, everything is done. He wants to give you such peace. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your love for us is is ever, an everlasting love. And, Lord, we don't need to fear. Lord, we don't need to be... Uh, overwhelmed by grief, by the things that we see within ourselves and even the things that are in the world, Lord. We know that, um, Lord, we can come to you and we can confess and we can be restored. And, Lord, there can be such a great fellowship between us. And, and Lord, that's your heart's desire is just fellowship. And, Lord, as we as we take communion this morning, Lord, we're reminded of just the 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 hospitality of those in the Middle East when they would come in and, and have a have a meal, Lord, one of the greatest things, Lord. You know, you, you, you initiated it, Lord. To eat a meal together and to share something like what we're sharing now, Lord, it does. It brings us into communion with you and with one another in that order. Lord, we remember the blood and the, and, and the, and the body that was broken for us, Lord. The holy blood of God that was spilled on the cross, Lord, for us. Making atonement for not only the sins that we've committed yesterday in the past, but today's sins, Lord, and the sins for even our future, Lord. And all you do is cause us to to come and just to confess those things and to be restored and to walk in newness of life. And so, Lord, as we take this bread and cup, we remember what you have done in that upper room so long ago. It's so valid and fruitful for us today. To remember, Lord, in a crazy world that we live in, to, to never forget the price that was paid, Lord. And so we take it with thanksgiving, and we take it in, in honor of you, Jesus, our great and high king. We take it in, um, in humility, knowing that we couldn't have done this ourselves, Lord. You saved us. You did it. And so we honor you now as we take this 
bread and the cup. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in Peter's second epistle. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.